When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, and this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, we'll be reacting to the 1 0 Europa League away win over Berda Glimt. 200 miles inside the Arctic Circle. We'll also talk about our trio of Gabbies and their effect on the squad. And we'll take a look forward to Leeds away on Sunday. Only one guest this week. But what a guest. What a guest. A man who's been away acting his little socks off in various historical wigs. <laughs> I've seen the pictures. Uh, it's a warm handbrake. Welcome back to James McNicholas. Morning, James. Morning, Ian. Thanks for having me on. Nice to be back. Yeah, nice to see you as well. Um have we done a podcast since the start of the season together, by the way? I'm not sure. We haven't talked that sure much. I'm not sure we have. So it's probably a bad omen, me being back. It's been going quite well without me. <laughs> you know what? We'll see what happens on Sunday, won't we? And at that point, so this may well be James's uh, f- debut and farewell appearance. Yeah, my final appearance on Handbrake Off. <laughs> of Enjoy it. season, unless you change the whole vibe. Because we all have our part to play, you see. Uh, but anyway, as I said, the Arsenal did go to uh, the Arctic Circle yesterday. Well, what or where, James, was the coldest you've ever been watching Arsenal? I, I believe we might have talked about this before, but I definitely have one. Oh, that's good. I have one, but I can't pin down the specific game. But I'll tell the story anyway. It was around about this time of year. I think it was a home match against Manchester City, but I can't be sure. And I very cleverly thought, well, I was coming back off holiday and I thought I've timed it brilliantly because my flight lands just in time for me to go to the game. But effectively, I arrived at the Emirates Stadium in holiday attire to a freezing cold, drenched North London um, and shivered my way through what I remember as a particularly dispiriting game. So it was quite a bleak evening and quite a quite a quick comeback down to earth having been away and having a nice time was that where we got stuffed in the league cup final and then we played them in the league about four days later and there were only about thirty thousand people in the emirates and it it might have been actually you couldn't yeah. even huddle together for warmth could you <laughs> every other yeah, so, it was empty yeah but i mean there have been various trips up north that occurred to me which have been particularly cold what was yours going to be well before that city game by the way if it was that city game that was the one i believe where Josh and Stan Kroenke decided that it had to end for Arsene Wenger, basically. It was enough because it was it was less than a half full stadium. We got beaten by Man City in the Carabao Cup, so a lot of people didn't want to see us see it happen again. And I think they said enough is enough, Arsene. And I think he sort of agreed at that point. Yeah, or, an emotionally cold night, it, it, uh, for it, sure. I didn't go to that game, to be honest. I didn't go to that game. I was still recovering from the League Cup final when I looked down at my phone when their goalkeeper had the ball. And when I looked up, Sergio Aguero was through on goal and they scored. But anyway, you know, uh, they were the anyway, days. Those are the days. Um, 
Mine, Everton at home. I can't remember exactly when. It was, I think, a two-all draw. I believe that we they, Everton equalised. Stephen Pienaar equalised with a breakaway goal when all our players were within 30 yards of their goal and they broke away and ran down the other end. And Pienaar did... If I, I listen as a football fan, a delightful chip over I can't remember who the goalie was, but they equalized and and it was so cold. It was right. so I do you know what I can't describe it beyond that, just except to say it was so cold that I, I just shivered my way through the entire game. I also, by the way, uh, I went to Manchester United away when the sun was out. This is a hundred years ago and the sun was out down here and I had a t-shirt and by the time I got up there, it was snowing. So, uh, that was, that was tough. That was, You'd know uh, about yeah, that. yeah, that was yeah. a, that was a tough one. We went a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Didn't look too bad actually in Norway yesterday. It looked like this, the Norwegian winter hasn't quite uh, begun yet. I'm presuming that that is why they play on a plastic pitch. Uh, Berda nil, Arsenal one. Not much to say about the game last night, but Kaio Saka is a gem, though, isn't he? Let's be fair. Yeah, and I was pleased to see him score again. I think. You know, there's been a lot of focus on Saka's performances all the time. And I think this season, maybe he's been a little bit below his best, but he has been producing goals and assists. And three goals in the last two games will be a tremendous lift to his confidence. And although it's a slightly comical goal, bounces in off his chest, it comes of being in the right place at the right time, getting up in those good goal scoring positions. And I think that's a positive sign. So, yeah, not not the greatest game we'll ever see, but... A win is a win is a win. Yeah, exactly. Strong team, James, as well. I mean, we all know this thing. Actually, I only found out yesterday <laughs> that you play two less games if you finish top of the group in the Europa League. So you go straight into the round of 16 as opposed to the round of 32. There was a hell of a lot riding on that game, which is why, I guess, he started a stronger team as he did. Yeah, I think obviously there's a real incentive to win the group there. But also... He doesn't have that many fit senior players available. I think he said, I've got 15 or 16 players, so there's only so much rotation I can do. Of course, he can chuck in a load of academy kids if he wants, but even then, a lot of the the brightest young players in the academy are out on loan. So I think he's relatively limited in terms of what he can do. I thought it was interesting that, you know, Gabriel, Shaka, Martinelli, they played pretty much every game this season until this point. They were the guys who rotated out of the side of this team. And instead, we saw people like Saliba, Ben White, Martin Odegaard, Kai Saka, who we've mentioned, obviously. I think that there's a, d- a desire on Arteta's part to keep some continuity there from a team that's been playing well, winning well. I mean, ultimately, that didn't transpire. This was probably Arsenal's most disjointed performance of the season. Even if we can see a lot of sort of mitigating factors as to why that might be, the conditions, the opposition, the pitch, it was pretty disjointed. And I feel quite lucky that Arsenal escaped this game with a 1-0 win because certainly, you know, Berda had chances. They did have chances. They had the best chances, uh, to be honest. And also, you know, they've won 14 matches at home in a row, Berda. I mm. mean, this is not, you know, we've heard they beat Roma 6-1. They also beat Celtic, Dinamo, Zagreb, a couple of others. This is a hard place to go. And that plastic pitch, I mean, I saw one ball from Kieran Tierney, I think, uh, late on in the game that Eddie didn't quite get hold of. You sort of felt that he might have got it off the bounce on a on a grass pitch. 
So with all those mitigating circumstances and so far, I haven't heard anything, no injuries as well. Really, just get them home and get them rested and get them ready for Leeds on Sunday, right? Absolutely. And also, you know, we were able to leave Gabriel Jesus at home, which I thought was the right decision. You know, obviously took a big bang uh, against Liverpool at the weekend. He's been given some time to rest and recuperate and be ready for Sunday. So that's another positive. But it's interesting, you know, every Europa League game, there are kind of various subplots and little things that you're looking at, tactical tweaks or maybe a player who's not played for a while, you're hoping to see something from. And, you know, without wishing to dismiss it entirely, none of those things really delivered against Burda. You know, um, I was really excited about seeing Vieira and Odegaard together in the same team, but (laughs) we didn't see anything of that. Um, Reese Nelson started his first game of the season, but, you know, it passed him by. So there weren't too many highlights. I think, you know, for me, Matt Turner was probably the Arsenal player who emerged with the most credit. He did well, that sort of sweeper-keeper thing going on. I mean, his distribution is not... I don't think it's at the level of Aaron Ramsdale, but you know what? This is why the Europa League, this is why I've had this argument for a long time about we need to blood players and you cannot be blooding players in the Champions League. Not really. But in the Europa League, they get a chance. I mean, if that is a Champions League away game... Aaron Ramsdale is playing, but Matt Turner will Mm. get game time and you never know what might happen. So it's important he gets game time and I thought he looked looked pretty good, looked commanding of his area, came out a couple of times and snuffed out danger. Yeah, he's a decent number two, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, is a regular international for America, a country with a great tradition of goalkeepers. He's going into a World Cup with them. I think maybe, you know, because he's been playing in the MLS, there's a bit of dismissiveness around his abilities. But I thought he showed last night what he's made of. Um, Yes, his quality on the ball is not the same as Aaron Ramsdale. But then we're often saying as Arsenal fans, you know, there aren't many who are as good on the ball as Aaron Ramsdale. You know, obviously in the Premier League, you've got Edison and Allison, But outside of that, you know, are there any goalkeepers who've got better passing range than Ramsdale? Very few. And so it's no great surprise that Turner struggles to slightly live up to that. But in terms of his, you know, what you would call his sort of traditional goalkeeping, his command of his penalty box, his handling, his shot stopping, I think he's done well so far. And last night I was really impressed, like you said, his starting position, his ability yes. to get out to the ball quickly. You know, Arsenal play with a higher line this season and they ask quite a lot of their goalkeepers in that respect in terms of covering, you know, that first 30 yards of the pitch. And Turner did that well. And that's something I think he's probably not had to do a great deal of thus far in his career. So the fact that he's adjusting and acclimatising to that, you make a good point. You know, if we were in the Champions League, how would he ever adapt to the passing game he's been asked to play at Arsenal? He just wouldn't get the minutes. Whereas, fortunately, with Europa League, he does get that time to bed in. And I think it'll be interesting moving forward, you know, assuming Arsenal get out of the group stage, as looks probable given the good start they've made, what will Mikel Arteta do then? You know, will he stick with Turner, who's seen him through the group, or will he introduce Aaron Ramsdale, who has still yet to make his European debut, not played a, a game of European football in his career? I imagine he'll be chomping at the bit for, uh, for that opportunity if it comes. So there'll be a decision for Arteta to make down the line. Yeah, I mean, and that goes for quite a few players. I mean, Sambula Conga played uh, the game last night, uh, well, 84 minutes of it. I'm looking at his stats. AFC Newsroom tweeted his stats 57 passes with almost 97% accuracy, two key passes, uh, intercept, a couple of interceptions and a tackle, ground duels. He won two out of uh, three. 
It's a tidy performance. He still gives the ball away a few times, doesn't he? There were a couple of attacks that they had uh, that resulted in in shots on goal from sort of slack play, really. And I think after the second one, Mikel Arteta didn't substitute him, but he bought on Granite Xhaka, didn't he? To basically just to, to be next to him, really. And that, I thought, was telling to me. I'm not taking you off because I, I like the way you're playing, but you can see him getting caught out against the bigger teams. Yeah, he brought on the babysitter, didn't he? Um, <laughs> I, 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 that was actually it, it, the instruction from the bench. I yeah. bring on the babysitter. Can we get a babysitter? Clapped his hand. I, well, I, it's funny, you know, I do think of kind of Shaka and arguably Party too as sort of the senior figures in this team. And they're kind of, think of them almost like a pair of stabilisers on the, on the team. You know, they sort of keep things steady in the middle of the park. And we started the game without either of those two last night. And I think we saw that. And actually, even once Shaka came on, it might just be my impression watching the game, but it gave me a far greater sense of comfort. Um, <laughs> Who would believe that any Arsenal fan would ever say that sentence? Things have really changed things since I was last really on, I guess. <laughs> but uh, Sambi's an interesting one. Like He's got quality on the ball and he made a nice pass to Saka in the build-up to the goal. But I do think the other half of his game, the kind of what he does without the ball, has got a long way to go before he's close to the level of a Shaka or Partey. I just think the defensive intensity concentration. isn't quite there. Concentration, concentration as well. Focus. And, and, and like you say, what we do without the ball now, we're a lot better without the ball than we used to be. But but there were a couple of moments last night with Sambi when it sort of reminded me of, uh, of Arsenal from, say, 18 months ago, two years ago, when without the ball, we just weren't as intense, you know. Yeah, and he's a lovely player to watch. There's no doubt yeah. about it. He's got loads of skill and technique and moves across the ground really beautifully but yeah I do think there is another side of his game that needs to develop and actually the comparison that's going to be drawn is between him and Thomas Partey because of the position that they play and Partey does a lot that's eye-catching on the ball you know plays passes at speed into people's feet or turns away from two or three people in the midfield and you know you watch that and you go wow but actually the other side of his game you know in terms of going into duels, going shoulder to shoulder with people, winning the ball back, protecting his back four. I think we take some of that for granted at times. It goes a little bit unheralded because it's less spectacular. But it's that stuff that Sambi, I think, really needs to develop. If if he's serious about kind of becoming a regular player in this particular position in front of the back four, that side of his game is where the development needs to happen. Yeah. Um, uh, Disappointing with Reese Nelson last night. I mean, I think there's such goodwill amongst Gooners when he came on last week in the home game and you could feel the crowd wanting him to do well. And uh, and it sort of feels like he just... He doesn't produce in when, when he gets his chances so far. Now, obviously... Plastic pitch away in the Europa League. It's cold. I don't know. I'm just looking for excuses, perhaps. But Arteta wants it to work, doesn't he? He really wants him to succeed. He 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 is giving him chances. Yeah, and I think they had a conversation in the summer where you know Arteta said, "If you if you stay here, you will be given opportunities like every other player." And he's been good to his word in that respect. I mean, partly it's an injury situation. You know, if Emil Smith Rowe was available that probably those minutes wouldn't have come his way but I agree that this opportunity slightly passed him by and there are 
I don't want to say excuses, but there are reasons for that. You know, he's just coming back from injury. Don't think any Arsenal player played particularly well no. last night, certainly on the outfield front. Um, it's not like he came into a team that was firing and he failed to come up to that standard. But the opportunities are going to be relatively few and far between and time is running out for him at Arsenal. Yeah. You know, I think he's 20, 22 now, um, 23 maybe by the end of the year. Uh, Old for Arsenal, isn't it, really, to be honest? It's, oh, he's over the hill. No. <laughs> but it, it is strange because, you know, we were talking about him as a long time ago as a 17-year-old when Arsene Wenger first brought him into the setup, And it was clear at that point in time he had all the ability in the world, but it's just not quite translated. Last season, he had an interesting season on loan in Holland. You know, first half of the campaign was kind of in and out, had a few injuries. He finished quite strong. He's come back to Arsenal, had another injury. Yeah, I do kind of feel like there are excuses for him last night, but how many times can we make those excuses? And sooner or later, he has to deliver and it just hasn't quite happened for him. So, you know, I, I don't want to make any bold, big pronouncements about his future because football's a game that continually surprises you, but he didn't get what he needed from this game. I think that's fair to say. No, uh, uh, but as you say, football can surprise you and Eddie Nketiah is very much established as our second choice centre-forward, which you would not have said Six months ago, probably, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. In terms of what happens when the teams drop in from the Champions League, I mean, Barcelona looked like they might be. I mean, we could be getting Ajax, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, uh, Milan and uh, Juventus all dropping in. I mean, this is going to be a tough competition to win, is it not? But but if we play to the standard, not of last night, but to the way we play, we shouldn't fear any of them, should we, really? Uh, we shouldn't, but I might <laughs> if some of those names drop in. I mean, they do sound quite daunting. They do. It sounds like uh, European royalty, doesn't it, actually? I mean, there's about yeah. uh, 100 Champions Leagues in amongst that group I've just mentioned. So not maybe not that many, but quite a few. And uh, yeah, I, do you know what? In the end, we, we have to beat who, uh, who they put in front of us. And you sort of sense that the way this team is going, they will feel like they can. Maybe we just, with a game like yesterday, you just get it out of the way, get on the plane, get home, get your three points and get home. Absolutely. And it, those teams who drop out of the Champions League, although they might be big names, you have to remember there's reasons why they've dropped out. You know, they've not performed really in the group stage. Um, so there's not, I, I guess, you know, you're right. Arsenal should approach any of those fixtures without fear. One thing that would be interesting is if the draw does become difficult and we do come up against some of these big, big clubs, you know, what impact will that have domestically? At the present point in time, you know, we're able to rotate substantially. We're able to kind of compartmentalise these Europa League games and keep the focus on the It'll Premier League campaign. Hard. If it's Barcelona, if it's Juventus, you know, ahead of the weekend, that is going to shift the focus and shift the emphasis. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how that plays out. The second half of the season does feel very distinct from the first. You know, there's a World Cup in between. There's the these knockout ties in Europe, um, they're almost separate challenges. And Arsenal have shown themselves to be quite well acquitted for this one. The next one could be different. And that's why I guess things like the January transfer window could be of, of paramount importance. Well, we'll see. Uh, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Would you like to be the fountain of football knowledge within your friendship group, either down the pub or in the group chat? Because if so, the Athletic Football Tactics podcast is surely the podcast for you. I'm Ali Maxwell, and every week the athletics tactics guru Michael Cox, its data whiz Mark Kerry, and myself take a tactical deep dive into the week's biggest talking points. This week we'll be assessing the ever-changing role of the modern number nine and wondering if it's having a renaissance, and if so, how Erling Haaland, Darwin Nunez and Gabriel Jesus' big summer moves have shaped that conversation. We're also taking a look at Manchester City against Liverpool and asking if this is still the biggest fixture that the Premier League has to offer or not. Make sure to check out our back catalogue too. Three years worth of episodes featuring more nostalgic lookbacks at iconic teams and seasons from yesteryear like Carlo Ancelotti's Christmas tree formation at AC Milan or Mesut Ozil's Arsenal legacy. It's good fun and the experts bring a ton of insight. So join us. Just search for the Athletic Football Tactics podcast wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow and subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. Ian Stone and James McNicholas here on Handbrake Off. Let's talk about the Gabbies at Arsenal. We thought we'd have a sort of Brazilian Gabby theme <laughs> to part of the second half. Gabriel Martinelli, I mean, he scored twice at Ellen Road last season. The 4-1 win for Arsenal, obviously on super hot form, looked absolutely brilliant. Possibly the best player on the pitch uh, against Liverpool. I mean, we've talked about him on here plenty of times, including the last few podcasts I mean we got him for six million quid James I mean he might mm. be worth ten times that already yeah and I think Adrian said it on here about it being a victory for scouting and quite traditional scouting really because playing in the fourth tier of Brazilian football with Ituano without you know a great deal of data without a great deal of video you had to be out there on the ground watching the games talking to people to discover him Arsenal did and credit to the regime who got the deal done because, yeah, he's been sensational, really. I mean, you need only listen to Jurgen Klopp talk about Gabriel Martinelli to realise what a special player we've got on our hands. I find it, I, I, you're right, I find it sort of simultaneously annoying but also pleasing when I hear Klopp yeah. talking about him because I think, leave him, why are you talking about him? It's a bit weird. Stop going on about well, him. Well, I almost feel like there's a bit of needle there. Like, you know, I don't know this is a fact, but it almost feels like, was he in with a chance of signing him and didn't get him? Like it almost feels like he's like I should have this player, well, and I can un- <laughs> I can understand why because he's kind of the archetype of a clock forward. He's all action. He presses. He works hard. He scores goals. He would love him, I'm sure. Man, I turned him down two or three times. There was a picture of him the other day uh, when he was a young kid with uh, Paul Pogba uh, standing next to him. So he, he he I think he trialed two or three times for he them, did. and they said no. I mean, mate, well, I mean, we always knew. 
from the first time we've been, we watched him. I think everyone thought, "Who is this? Kid? How good is this kid?" We all obviously, I've heard Amy and you wax lyrical on this podcast about the goal he scored away at Chelsea when he then folded his arms in front of the away fans and how brilliant yeah. that was. But there have been moments. I mean, he was frustrated last season, wasn't he, when he didn't get in the team? And Mikel Arteta was saying to him, "Wait your turn." And then obviously with Emil Smith-Rowe's injury and in he comes and he's got to be one of the first names on the team sheet now. Yeah, and he is. I mean, if you look actually back to sort of last Christmas time, how many games he's played, he's been a real regular fixture in the team. I think actually Aubameyang, everything that happened with him kind of opened the door for Martinelli a bit. And I think credit has to go to the the management team who I think handled his situation pretty well. I mean, he was recovering from a pretty serious injury. You know, they didn't rush him. They didn't push him. They held him back. And since they released him out of the traps, he's absolutely flowed. And one of the things I think is really exciting about Martinelli is whatever level of game you put him in, he seems to raise to match it. You know, so when he was a kid arriving from Brazil, you put him in a preseason friendly for Arsenal, he immediately impressed. Put him in a League Cup tie, immediately impressed. Europa League, European competition, scoring goals. When he steps up to the Premier League, he wasn't daunted by that. And now you mentioned the Liverpool game last weekend. Well, he was fantastic in that. And if I think back to the home game against Man City in January, which Arsenal narrowly lost and was superb, and he was fantastic that day too. It feels like whatever the quality of the opposition, he raises his game to meet that level. And that's the mark of a really great player. So, yeah, watching him blossom has been one of the delights of the past year as an Arsenal fan. And I think quite satisfying for us all because... Most Arsenal fans recognised there was some serious talent there. And now we're seeing it blossom and come to fruition. And I think, uh, you know, he's in contract talks with the club about a new deal. I don't doubt that, you know, they'll they'll give him what he wants because he has shown his importance to the team. And it's, you know, it's right that that's recognised now. On that contract uh, situation, there's three players, particularly it's, uh, Bukayo Saka, William Saliba and Gabriel Martinelli. I must admit, I'm pretty sort of relaxed about the whole thing because, I I mean, we talked about it on the pod, about how if you're an agent for any of those guys, uh, you're saying, wait until after the World Cup. There's no rush. And if your World Cup goes well, and we fully expect it will go well, this is assuming that Martinelli goes because we're pretty certain that Saliba and and Saka will, you you could probably get an extra 20 grand a week uh, just because more people will want you, even though everyone wants you already. But having said all that, where would he go? to get the sort of joy that... uh, that, Where would any of them go to get the sort of joy they're getting at the Arsenal at the moment? Martinelli has spoken loads about how he feels like it's family and he wants to spend his career here. Are you feeling sort of similarly relaxed about the whole thing? I think you have to because, as you mentioned, in the case of Saka and Martinelli particularly, they're on record, really, saying how much they are loving life at Arsenal and saying they want to stay. Yeah. And for the club, that's a really strong position to be in. I mean, yes, the finances are another matter and they'll be handled by agents and there'll be negotiations about that. And like you, I think those could be, in some cases, relatively protracted because it's not really in the agent's interest to sign off on something straight away, especially at a time when the stock of all these players seems to rise week to week. But the fundamental of do they want to be at Arsenal? Yeah, they absolutely do. And that's a fantastic thing. And and you can see why, because this is the club that's given them a chance. They're regular starters here. They're playing loads of minutes. They're playing at the very top of the Premier League. They're playing in Europe. It's a brilliant showcase for them. 
so I think, yeah, it's a very happy marriage at the present point in time. And in in Martinelli's case, Arsenal have some security because his contract yeah. doesn't expire for quite a few years yet. So and they've got an add on, haven't they? They can add they can add another year. Yeah, another year or two, I think. Right. So that puts them in a very comfortable position. But at the same time, you want to reward players for good performance. You want to keep them happy, and that's why I think a new contract will be forthcoming before too long. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Gabriel Magalhaes. I, mm. I, I'm never totally sure how I pronounce that, but uh, he made a mistake against um, against Liverpool. He has got a rick in him. We understand that. But he is first choice centre-half at the moment with William Saliba. I mean, he is. And and he's, he's popped up with goals for us. There's a huge amount of fight there. He, he's sort of under the radar a little bit, isn't he? Of, of, of the three Gabbies, he's the one we talk about the least. Probably, yeah, and I think that's partly because he's sort of the um, it doesn't feel like the right wording, really, but the poor relation of Saliba. You know, we're all talking about Saliba every single week and praising him to to the hilt. But you know, Gabriel has been an important part of this team, and they have a really effective partnership. Actually, I think they really get on. Saliba has spoken about how Gabriel's really helped him settle. They knew each other a little bit from playing in France. Um, and yeah, I think there's a good chemistry there. I agree there have been mistakes. You can't, you know, avert your eyes from that. Clearly, there is a rawness at times to the way Gabriel play the, plays the game that I think is reminiscent of sort of Laurent Koscielny at a similar age. You know, a guy who was very active on the pitch would be quite rash sometimes. And I think with Gabriel, there's a kind of emotional aspect to the way he plays the game. You see him get very emotionally involved in situations or battles or duels, and it can lead to him going a little bit too far on occasion, and that will be penalised. But I still think, I think he's 24, and in the life of a centre-half, is still relatively young. And I think, you know, by the time he's 26, 27, if you can iron these little moments out of his game. Arsenal have got such a good player there because physically there are very few that can match him. You know, you speak about his threat in the opposition penalty box. A lot of that comes down to the physicality, the power that he possesses, as well as pretty handy goal scoring instincts. And his quality on the ball, I think is underrated. I mean, the amount of times that it's him who leads Arsenal for passes out from the back, his distribution as a left-sided player. Is that right? Is he leads Arsenal for passes out of the back because because if I'm an opposition coach, I, and there's usually one player that you go let them have the ball and we'll uh, and we'll cover the rest. I'd probably let Gabriel have the ball. Well, the thing is, I think that is what happened. Certainly last season, a lot of the time for Ben White, for example, was the centre back partner. They'd really press him, or his passing lanes would be blocked, and so they'd almost leave Gabriel to have the ball, as you describe. But actually, his execution with it, okay, look, maybe he's not playing 
through balls over the top like Ben White might, but his oh. consistency on the ball was very, very good. He wasn't giving it away a great deal. And so I do think that's maybe a little bit an underrated aspect of his game. I actually really like him. I think he's a, I think he's a, a terrific young centre-half and I think that he's got room to improve. And I, I personally, I find that exciting because if he can close out some of those errors from his game, then he will be a very complete central defender. There's no guarantee he'll do that. You know, not all defenders become Laurent Koscielny. They don't all mature. They don't all iron out the errors. I think sometimes we think progression is a, a like a linear trajectory and there's a guarantee that players become better. He has to show an openness to learn. He has to learn from his mistakes. He has to mature. Whether or not he'll do that, we don't know. But in terms of the raw ingredients and the potential that's there, I'm quite high on Gabriel. And actually, like we spoke a bit about the Boda game, you know, you put Saliba next to Rob Holding and actually it was quite ragged at the back. Mm. Um, so I think the value of having the right partner there can't be underestimated. No. And uh, as for Gabriel Jesus, um, I'm glad he got a rest yesterday. I mean, he's been kicked more than any other player in the Premier League. They're targeting him now. We've seen it uh, a couple of games. I mean, there's not a lot left to say aside from the fact... I mean, I genuinely believe myself and Amy have this this, this ongoing thing where she'll say it's Saliba. He's the one. And I'll say it's Gabriel Jesus. And that is a simplification of the way that we talk about these players. But I think Gabriel Jesus has lifted the entire club, is my actual feeling about it. I mean, the entire club. He's come in... And everyone has gone, oh, my goodness. And obviously Zinchenko has the same thing, but he hasn't played as much. But Jesus has played almost every game. And everyone has looked at him and thought, that, oh, that's what you need to do. That's the level of commitment. That's the level of, of effort that you have to make. And I think everyone, everyone's game has got better because of him. I agree with you. And I think, you know, we spoke briefly about Martinelli. I think he's benefited enormously from having Jesus next to him. I mean, you speak about partnerships in the team. That's a really exciting partnership that has potential to grow over the years. He's been outstanding. I was very pleased this week. Somebody on Twitter pointed out to me that in 2020, I said that Gabriel Jesus was, um, if I tried to imagine Mikel Arteta's ideal striker. <laughs> yeah. It, it was Gabriel Jesus. I was like, wow, you know, stop clock is always, you know, right, right twice a day. No, no, no. Um, so, yeah, I was very satisfied with that. But he has even so exceeded my expectations. Yeah, no one and thought he'd be this good, did they? No. He's a better footballer than I gave him credit at Manchester City. I think, obviously, I knew he was sort of intense defensively with the pressing, but his willingness to battle people, you know, to fight for possession has taken me aback. His quality on the ball in terms of his dribbling ability. I didn't know he had that in his Bournemouth, locker, you know. Bournemouth away, when he picked the ball yeah. out of the air, beat a couple of players and laid it on. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. But I feel like he's had moments like that all through the season. Yeah. And there were times in the Liverpool game where he had the ball at his feet. And you could tell those Liverpool defenders were terrified to get near him because they knew he had the quality to beat them. I'm delighted he had a bit of rest this week. And I look forward to seeing him again in the Premier League. I think... He has transformed the team. And it's interesting, you know, there have been some comments in the last week or so from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang about Mikel Arteta. But we don't talk about Aubameyang really anymore. No. We don't talk about no. Alex Lacazette anymore because we've got a centre-forward who I think is much more complete player and who has really elevated the team and added key missing ingredient. But the fact that this debate exists, you know, between... Uh, Saliba and Jesus, you know, who's been the most important, demonstrates 
the quality that exists in, in all aspects of the team at the present point in time. And yeah, I'm, long may it continue. Quite. I'm looking at the list of players who will go to the World Cup, or almost certainly will go to the World Cup. Uh, Saka, Ramsdale, Gabriel, Gabriel Jesus, Matt Turner, Saliba, Thomas Partey, Granit Xhaka and uh, Tommy Yasu. I mean, I don't really want any of them to go, if I'm totally honest with you. I'd like them all to stay home, wrap them in cotton wool. Uh, there's a couple others who might. Ben White, I can't believe he's not going. Gabriel Martinelli, Cedric, Fabio Vieira and Sambi Laconga. We're having such a great time at the moment and hopefully it will continue right the way through to, to the World Cup. I don't suppose we can really worry about any of this and we can't. The players all have ambition to play for their national teams as well, and we're just going to hope that they have to that they come back in reasonable shape. Yeah, I mean, I alluded to this earlier, but I think almost by necessity we have to think of this season in two distinct parts. And you know, it's about getting to the World Cup and then taking stock. Seeing, I think all clubs that I've had any contact with in the last few months anticipating a situation where in the second half of the season there might be players missing through injury or who is experiencing fatigue. And that's just something they're going to have to live with and accommodate for, probably in part by using the January window. Arsenal are no different. And I just hope that we can keep this good momentum going until the end of this first half of the season. I think thinking beyond that almost feels impossible at this point in time. We just we just don't know what sort of shape we're going to be in. and um, But fortunately, every point that we accumulate in this first half of the season does contribute. And... You know, for all the talk about, for all the, as much as they are separate things, these points all do count. And I and I think Arsenal are putting themselves in a really strong position here. You know, if you think about the fact that they came into the season hoping for a top four place, the fact that people are even tentatively talking about them as title challengers shows you know that they've exceeded expectations. And yeah, I, I, I listen. I know I've not been on the show very much, but you can be rest assured I've been absolutely loving it. So. It's a nice feeling ahead of a weekend to think I'm really looking forward to seeing Arsenal play yeah, on Sunday. Yes, absolutely. I'm genuinely, I can't wait for the next game. One more thing before we talk briefly about Leeds. Um, mm. I mean, you. I've seen a couple of post-match reports that you've done with the crowd. Mm. I think you were, uh, and I think it was quite early on in the season, might have been Leicester, might have been Fulham and and the noise. And, and obviously Tottenham and Liverpool took it to another level. I mean, it's a bit of a, a fortress now, Emirates, isn't it? You don't expect much aside from an Arsenal victory most of the time. No, and, and uh, to be fair, like uh, there's been a lot of talk about the atmosphere. And I think, without wishing to give ourselves uh, too much credit, it's something we've been talking about for a while. I think the outside world feel that Arsenal have kind of transformed over the past month or something like that. But it has sort of started... You know, I think going back to the start of last season, really, obviously we had the terrible start with the opening three games, but as soon as we built some momentum after that... That City game, that City game, James, that you mentioned uh, in New Year, when we lost to, to, by the way, a pretty tired City team who had a couple of players missing, but we took it to them. We absolutely took it to them, and we didn't really deserve to lose that game. And I remember the crowd after that game just staying there and feeling so proud of the boys and and, and, uh, giving a proper round of applause as they came off the pitch because we appreciated the effort and I sort of feel that there have been games like that where the crowd and the and the team have bonded and obviously this season you know 
Absolutely, you know, think of the home win over Manchester United last season or the away win. There were some fantastic away wins, Wolves, Aston Villa. You could see that relationship between supporters and team really building. And then, of course, it's carried into this season in a big way. And lots of people have contributed to that, the club themselves, uh, some of the fan groups. And, of course, results help too. But there is that lovely kind of symbioticism now and... Yeah, it's it's electric. Honestly, being part of it, I it mean, is. I'm I'm very blessed that I get to go in the press box at times. But I have to be honest, uh, <laughs> whenever I do, I'm a little bit gutted that I'm not part of it. You know, because yeah. uh, it's been just fantastic to be among the crowd, and it's as good an atmosphere right now at the Emirates, I think, as it's ever been. Really, I don't think the Emirates has ever quite felt well, it's home like home. It's home. In this, Amy way. Amy yeah. said, "Oh, it's like Highbury." And 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 yeah. you know what a big compliment that is coming from her, uh, yeah. and no, and I absolutely feel the same way. But we are not there this weekend. We're away at Leeds. Uh, three of the last four Premier League visits have finished four one the Arsenal. We do tend to do pretty well down there. I mean, we just have to continue the form that we've been the way that we play at the moment. Leeds are obviously going to come at us. But uh, you sort of feel like we could, we're pretty deadly on the break. Saka and Martinelli look like the best two wide players in the uh, in the Premier League at the moment. Yeah, I mean they had a decent enough start, Leeds, and I remember them beating Chelsea three 0 pretty emphatically. But recent results haven't been as good. Uh, you know they lost at Palace, they drew with Villa at home. They should have beaten was... Palace, by the way. I watched the first half of that game, and they were all over Palace, and then Palace got a uh, got an equaliser from a set piece. And the rest yeah. of the game, it changed. But Leeds should have been 2-3 up in that game. Well, there you go. I mean, I think they do have players that are a threat. Nevertheless, this is a match from an Arsenal perspective you look at and think, really, they ought to to go and win this game. I don't think it'll be easy. But, you know, it's in, the next couple of games, I think, for Arsenal are interesting. It's Leeds away. Then, OK, there's PSV at home. But Southampton away. Uh, Nottingham Forest at home. Having just beaten Spurs and Liverpool, those are three opponents that you'd think, well, Arsenal could really accumulate some points here. Yes. Equally, as Arsenal fans, we've been stung by this before, we know that you know sometimes when it's the the, the, the ones that look a little bit easier on paper can be the banana skin. Well, the end, of last um, se- the end of last season when we lost to Southampton and whoever else, and then we end up going to Chelsea and winning and... Uh, yeah, exactly. We know what... I mean, so that's, that, yeah. that Southampton game last season was very costly and... Uh, I've certainly got an eye on that one. That's one where I've earmarked as, you know, we need to not slip up there again. But yeah, Leeds, I think, I, I feel quite confident. Arsenal kind of had Leeds's number a little bit in recent years. You mentioned some of those 4-1 wins. I would be absolutely over the moon with another one of those. So let's hope uh, we can get one. Quite. Guy, our producer, has put in some memories of Leeds and he's written down for some reason May 1999 Leeds won Arsenal nil with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank scoring the 86th minute uh, oh, and the time no. I don't know why he's done that to be honest with you I mean it, that was uh, Nelson Vivas oh, at the far post you yeah. have to say that I had to 200 miles out to drive back to London in a Nissan Micra you know this right it killed me that journey it's not a, it's not a car for a motorway driving after losing one little Leeds and giving the title to Manchester United um yeah, I have fonder memories of Ellen Road, I have to say. You know, there were times where, I think a few years later, when we were sort of invincible period, we used to, we seemed to go there every season and put four past them. I remember one of those four-goal victories where, you know, Colo Torre ended up charging up the pitch and scoring a goal. And I remember another one where Carney was absolutely unplayable. Yes. Oh, Carney. 
mistake. Order restored. Four for Arsenal in Europe in midweek, away from home. Four for Arsenal here on a Premiership Saturday, away from home. It seems to be a ground where we've had some success. Last season was a curious game, wasn't it? Because they had so many absentees. Do you remember? It was almost cancelled, um, postponed Frankly. rather, and they you know, could barely put a team out. It's not quite... I don't think it'll be quite as easy this time around. No, but uh, we go with confidence of uh, whatever it is. How many games have we played this season? 12, and we've won all but one. And we probably should have won the other one as well. So uh, uh, things are looking good at the moment. Let's have a song uh, to finish then, James. Uh, well, it's a bit early because this is kind of a Christmas song, but it's not really. It's E17, Stay Now. And the reason I'm thinking of it is because of uh, the cold, the cold of Norway and the question about how cold it was. And in the music video for this, I believe it is snowing because it was released at Christmas. And also we're talking about Marcinelli, Saka and Saliba and I want them all to stay. So I'm going to go for that. Quite. Uh, all right. Well, if we're going on the cold theme, and I think we are, I'm having ice ice baby. <laughs> nice. Was it vanilla ice? It was. Vanilla ice, yes. Whatever happened to him? <laughs> he melted. Apparently. Anyway, um, that's um, that's it. That's the uh, the Arsenal podcast. Thank you to James. Thank you to Guy, our producer, and uh, thank you, listener, for listening. And um, keep enjoying the Gooners. I'm Ian Stone. See you soon. Mm-hmm. 